Hey, it's time for Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit. And I'm Dr. Lisa. How you doing? Wow. Things are getting things are the 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 this is such a drama here in this country right now. And it and it just we keep thinking it's gonna calm down and it's just not. So uh I just want to make sure you guys are okay. I'm thinking about all of you. It's a rough time of year. It's a great time of year. It's a crazy time of year. And we're really happy that we've been able to maintain Radio Free Brooklyn throughout this whole pandemic and all the other, there's, you know, all the the, the complete shit show. But we're all still really here and we're re- really pumped and we want to keep it going. And we've been here with you and it's the end of the year. Tax deductions. Okay, so donate to us now at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. Um, we have 24 seven programming and we're really, we are really fucking, the truth is we are really inclusive and we are really community based and we have every kind of music, comedy, talk, politics, and we're non, you know, we're, 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 we need some cash. Look what, you know, it costs money to keep us together. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to stay together for us so we can stay together for you. There, I made my pitch, okay. Um, Anyway, thanks so much for listening to Dr. Lisa Gives a Shit Um, here every Thursday, two to three. You can go to the archives and check that out because I've got over 250 uh, recorded sessions and there's some amazing, there's some really amazing stuff in there if I say so myself. I want to uh, also let you know that uh, if you are if you are having a hard time and you have no money, you can get you know you can get free free mental health services. Okay, so go to eight 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 NYC Well. That's W E L L, or you can text Well at six five one seven three. Okay. Um, I have, uh, a really, uh, I am really thrilled about the guest I have on today, Guy Richard Smith, who we're going to get to in a few minutes. He's a really brilliant, uh, um, you know, multi-talented artist. He's so good at so many things. He's a performer. He's a painter. He's, he's so many things. So, uh, he's, and he's also pretty fucking fascinating, actually. We had a really good intake session, so stick around because I've got to tell you about the city running tours before we get to him, okay? I'm going to tell you about this. This is such a cool thing that um, you can go to cityrunningtours.com. That's just uh, slash New York City, and you can go on a running tour around the five boroughs. You can schedule a tour, which is so cool. So if you like to run and you like being around other people that like to run, and you also want to have a really interesting experience while you're running, this is way overwhelming for me, but you know, you guys are, you know, you guys are in good shape out of there. And even if you're not, you know, this, I got to tell you something mental health wise, you get an A if you do this. This is really good for your mental health on so many levels. So go to radio, 
go to cityrunningtours.com, check out the details. Neighborhood running tours are offered seven days a week in all five boroughs, 23 different tours. Hi, guy. Hi there. Doesn't that make you want to get out and run? <laughs> no. I, I, you know, if my, uh, if my Achilles tendon wasn't killing me right now, I would be out there running. Oh. So anyway, uh, Guy, so here's the thing. Guy, Guy, here, okay, I'm going to do the counter-transference first and just get that right out of the way. So, folks, I have known Guy for, or known who known of Guy for probably 20 years, all right? I was so uh, flattered and honored when Guy got in touch with me recently because he actually listens to the show and wants to be on the show. Uh, he is somebody that I really have looked up to. Are you getting, are you, is this going to be embarrassing? It's okay. It's, a, it's more embarrassing for me, guy. I'm like, you know, putting you on a pet. No, but he's somebody like uh, one of the most, uh, the year 2000 here, I'm going to tell you, this is my impression of guy. Guy is like the guy, guy is the guy who had like a bunch, a lot of solo shows and, you know, I would go and stand in the corner because I didn't know anybody. I wasn't like involved, really that involved in art at the time when um, and Guy was like running, running the show. Literally, he was in a band. He had music and the band. So like one of my first encounters with Guy is in 2000 being invited to this very exclusive private artist party in like a huge studio with probably a couple hundred people. And I was like, so high on myself for getting invited. And it guy was fronting his band, um, Maxie Gale and the Playcoats. And I learned recently that Maxie doing research on guy, I've just found out that Maxie Gale means jerking off. Um, that- no, it's super horny. Super horny, something to do like that. Yeah. So, um, oh yeah. So anyway, I'm doing counter-transference because I have put Guy on a pedestal many times and I'm afraid that I may come off as uh, at some point, maybe jealous or envious. And so I just want to put that out there because I have been jealous and envious of him. But uh, anyway, I'm thrilled that you're on and you're fascinating and uh, I have a lot of respect for you, so I'm very excited to have you on as my guest. And um, just why don't you let t- t- try and uh, see if you can condense all the things you do into uh, you know a couple of sentences or tell sure. us what tell us about your career. I you know I'm an I, I artist. Uh, painting is my my first love, but I was I got. I started being in bands when I was in my teens and uh, was sort of just always a, 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 in bands at any point. You grew up in, a guy grew up in New York City and his parents are both, or are both uh, professors and his father was a major professor at Columbia. So he grew up in a very enriched environment in New York City. Okay, go yeah. ahead. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as soon as I was old enough, I, 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 got on a subway and went, you know, below 14th street and started going to like CBs for Sunday matinees and all that when I was 14. And, um, so I've always been in bands and I've also really liked humor. And I was, I was very lucky in is that I, I, I went to LaGuardia high school where they were, I was surrounded by all these people that did all these things that always seemed 
like they were having a little bit more fun than I was. And I wanted to try my hand at pretty much everything from uh, acting to, to, to dance to, um, to music. And uh, uh, I just so want to let remind, I just, just so, just so you guys know, LaGuardia is the fame school, you know, where, where it's a magnet school. You have to be super talented to get in. What did you do guys show a portfolio or acting? I, I, I showed a, of, and uh, there must have been like famous actors that you went to school with, people who became Jennifer famous. Jennifer Aniston was who? A who? Jennifer Aniston. Okay, there you go. That's what I'm trying to say, guys. Okay, go ahead. Um, and uh, uh, so yeah, so it just seemed kind of, I guess, kind of natural to want to do all those things, and I, I also wanted to show that I was, I mean, I had a, a talent for them. I, I wouldn't say that I was, I was always good enough in, in all these mm -hmm. things that, that they became kind of part of my lexicon. Um, I want to add something there, which is that during the, during our uh, intake session, I think that uh, you would be, mod you probably, he was very popular folks. Okay. Let me just say this guy is a really uh, charismatic, fun, uh, attractive person and he was very popular and probably natural on stage even though he didn't necessarily study a performing he didn't go into study a performing thing he has what it takes to front a fucking band it's a big fucking deal you have to have a that's a gift okay go ahead yeah no i mean the first my first show i think was probably it was i was 14 and fronting a band at cbgb's and um uh what i was saying yeah what <laughs> oh um i I, sh I told myself to shut up there go ahead so um in any case uh one of the things though that that's led to is uh uh so one of the benefits of being talented at only one thing is that when you run into a wall in it um you know, you work through it and you get to the end of that. You, 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 you break through that wall. And uh, uh, one of the issues that I've always kind of come, come against is that um, when something starts getting very difficult, I just switch to something else that's oh. more fun. Or, or something. <laughs> the reason I'm here is that I've, you know, confronted that. I've, I've, I've been aware of this for some time. And, uh, tr you know, most of my life, I... I would look at an artist like Mogliani and, uh, uh, no, am I, no, that's not right. It's not Mogliani. It's uh, Mirandi that I'm thinking of. Mm -hmm. um, and I kind of would have this, I would look down on that kind of like single mindedness. Uh, I mean, somebody for, for, for you non-art people, you know, I, I call it Chuck Close, although I like Chuck Close's work. It's like you make the same thing over and over. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and you don't have to walk in and go, what medium or what am I going to do today? You're like, I'm going to make a portrait of somebody in different colors. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I would look down on that. Mm -hmm. um, I would say, you know, I would think to myself, like, how unchallenging is that? How, how, mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, one, one of my major influences as a kid was like uh, the band PIL. And there's this series of like, or, or Roxy Music would be another one, where uh, they, you'd get the sense that, well, for, with PIL, like there's four, four albums where each one of them sounds totally different than the, the, uh, the, the last one. And that, that to me was just 
totally fascinating creating a problem for yourself and and trying to work with that mm -hmm. and uh but you know pil did four albums like this and then it kind of just they couldn't <laughs> so, so um i'm gonna try and um uh, so you you are really good at a lot of different things and what you're saying is one of your issues is every time you get to you you feel like you've never you don't follow through or you you get frustrated and then you right. move on okay right. so broad broad view um you know i would characterize your work in very like a whole bunch of mediums right yes but mostly focused on painting uh everything starts with painting yeah yeah and uh mostly what you're involved in now is painting and drawing right uh yeah 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 and um and is the performing where is the is there still an aspect to performing or is that sort of you know in in ways that are like okay i'm trying to like uh like I said, guys, okay, like I said, guys, Guy is, uh, you know, a complex person. He's involved in a lot of different kinds of art. It's hard to summarize because there's so many, look, okay, you know what? Do your own fucking research, all right? Go to GuyRichardSmith.com and do your own fucking research. And I'm going to tell you some, I'm just going to go through this in the most superficial way. He, he's uh, a he does um like right now at this phase of his life and you tell me if it's wrong this is all from like uh observing your career okay right now guy for the last five years has been involved in painting skulls and naming and putting like a descriptor under the skull of like you know lost soul or you know not good enough or like just funny labels and he's painted 400 skulls they're they're beautiful they're funny they're smart they're a lot of they're great and uh he has a gallery in california that represents has represented the skulls consistently a very very good gallery uh james oh i'm gonna i'm blanking on it what is it Charlie james gallery Charlie James, oh, yeah, Charlie James, very, very good gallery uh, in LA, and they've been shown at Spring Break. He had a solo show at Spring Break. That's a big by Carol Bove. That's a big thing too. They've they've gotten a lot of acclaim, as well. They should, and um, something I <laughs> I'm gonna get jealous just for fun, because it's funny. No, I mean we do really different. Forget about that. I'm just trying to make a bad joke. Uh, so the thing is, is that where Guy is right now is he has turned these or a publisher has put out a book, Guy Richard Schmidt, A Mountain of Skulls. It's a monograph, which is an artist book that has descriptions of an interview, you know, an interview and descriptions of the uh, art context for the skulls. It's it's a really I mean, I'm not kidding. It's a really great book. And uh, it has, you know, I can't I do your own fucking research, but it's a great book. And it's a very um, art monograph museum, art museum, art museum store quality book. Uh, 
so I was thinking that, you know, you have guy, you've sort of incorporated your performing in the delivery of the book, right? Is that right? Yeah. Well, you know, we're trying to try, uh, the book dropped in uh, October and, uh, you know, right in the middle of the pandemic and uh, you couldn't do a book signing you couldn't do a, um, a, uh, you couldn't do events really. So I started biking the books everywhere to anyone, like anyone who would buy them uh, online from the publisher. I would, I would then load them up in my, on my bike and bike out to, I went Washington Heights, Red Hook, um, uh, Sunset Park, even Queens uh, and deliver the books and sign them. And, and, and so um, folks, he documented this. You can see it on uh, his Instagram, uh, guy underscore Richards underscore Smit, S-M-I-T. And you can see, you know, how fun, you get the real feeling of the charm and the interaction and the performance aspect of Guy delivering these books to people he knows and to strangers, signing the books when you got there. Am I, am I right? Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm saying is like, um, there's, I think that the natural performance aspect of you. I mean, a lot of artists would think that would be the worst idea of hell going and handing the work over to the person right there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. There are a lot of people who would never, and then to go to extra trouble and enjoy it. No. So I just want, I want everyone to understand. I mean, I'm understanding. I see performance ingrained in you, in you and your work. However, like you can't shut that down. Right. And it's not going to be shut down. So I think right now, especially in this last, I mean, I think that the series of uh, paintings has d dominated your last five years. Would you say that? Well, yeah. I mean, during that five years, I also did the sitcom, uh, The Gross Marmon. Oh, right, 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 right. Tell us about that. I, I shot five episodes of a th sort of classic three-camera sitcom about this ridiculous, uh, over-the-top, um, uh, obnoxious painter named Jonathan Grossmallerman. And we built a soundstage at, at uh, Pierogi Gallery's uh, Boiler Room and uh, uh, shot it, you know, with the classic three cameras in front of a live studio audience. Uh, I was there. Did you? I was there for one of the for 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 part of it, and I got to see Guy uh, do this amazing uh, video. What you know, TV show. I was in the audience, and he was, and he had all these really famous, um, you know, art, art, big time art performers like uh, Dynasty Handbag, one of my favorites, and uh, Kenny Melman. And yeah, I mean, that was, it was a really big, it was, I mean, for the art world, it was a big production. Maybe, you know, maybe Jennifer Aniston has had bigger productions, but it was a pretty big, uh, exciting production, right? Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. It was exhausting. It took over a lot. In fact, the skulls actually came out of, I started doing the skulls because in post-production, I was so I didn't have any money. I, I blew, I'm still sort of broke from that thing. Um, because while I raised a lot of money, it ended up costing more. Yeah. And, and it, yeah. It was a huge production. I mean, I can't, yeah. I can't, it's something I couldn't imagine pulling, you know, putting together. It, it, you know, super exciting. Uh, 
uh, and wonderfully exhausting in the best way. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards, you know, when you're trying to get the post-production and I did all the editing myself, but wow. trying to get like the scrolly work and the color corrects and, um, uh, things that you have to really pay for. Uh, so we were always kind of at the back of the line and I wait, I make a phone call and I find out they were going to have it ready. And I just got really depressed and, um, started thinking of this time, uh, when I was a student in the Netherlands and we went to, um, this weird little town in Czechoslovakia, uh, Kutnahora, where they have this crazy ossuary, this bone church, and with piles of skulls. And, uh, you know, they're things, they have this kind of like bunting made out. So you were basically surrounded by, um, it's in the book, it's like 40,000 skulls, right? Yeah, in one yeah. place in Czech- Czechoslovakia, was it? Or where was it? In- Bohemia. So it was. Yeah, Bohemia, Bohemia. But but the thing is, is that what you said is that you got depressed at the you got depressed towards the end of the production. So depression connected you to that time. Is that what you're saying? I, you know, quite possibly. I mean, I was probably I was I was uh, sort of desperate for something that uh, to be productive on some level. I, I just. I, everything was out of my hands. And I remembered this moment when I was there, when I was, I was staring at these skulls and these skulls are weird because it's like, you know, they're so potent, but at the same time, they give you nothing. They're just, they, they're a symbol. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, here I am looking at this, you know, mass of people who lived and loved and, you know, had revenge and, and uh, lost out on things or, or were, were triumphant momentarily or had, you know, affairs and stuff like that. And, ha- and like, and I couldn't empathize with them. And I remember sort of looking at one of the skulls and going like, I wonder maybe if he was the town baker. Mm-hmm. And if he was the town baker, uh, he knew everybody. He had relationships with everybody because they'd all come to his store or, you know. So his- you, you had a way of, pers- you had kind of maybe sounds like an epiphany when you were able to see one of those skulls as an individual and then, they all became individuals and you were only 13. Weren't you young when that happened? I read in the book. How old? 19. 19. So I bet that must have, um, that, that, that sort of brings the idea of mortality into focus, right? Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then, and then when you get, when we, I think get frustrated with our work sometimes, especially for you who wants to do everything and be, and, you know, uh, mortality is a real big bummer because you only have a limited amount of time and uh, can't get to everything. So maybe that's part of what you were dealing with, with the skulls, your frustration at not being able, you know, trying to deal with your own more, you know, the limits of mortality, let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm keenly aware of that at all times. I'm sure no more or less than anybody else, but it's mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think um, it. You also have a sense of humor about it somehow, right? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> so, so uh, you've, you know, those are really conflicting things, right? Death and laughing at death, or laughing, finding humor in it. 
sharing that humor. I think you want to do that, right? right? And uh, trying to process death. Yeah. Yeah. So did did that help? <laughs> do you feel what? differently about death now from doing the book? And but I, but I uh, but starting that project when I was you know in in this kind of weird moment and having a each day I would um, first of all it was my first brush with uh, what it's like to be an artist who knows what they're working on in the studio every day it was fantastic. yeah right it it kind so, of right uh, just getting better and better at it and kind of uh. uh just, you know, starting to get a little, uh, mm -hmm. you know, you, you do, you get better at it. You start getting more subtle. Um, Guy, I'm worried we're going to run out of time and I want to get to these issues. So I'm going to cut to the issues okay. and um, the issues during the intake, because these, these shows go so fast and I'm like chomping at the bit here. So um, there's, things that we two things that we that we brought up that we wanted to discuss during the intake one was that you're conflicted about using humor in your work and you've always used humor in your work and this sort of this discussion right now about the skulls is you you're concerned that you use humor as a defense which it is a defense and you're not quite comfortable with uh your relationship to humor whether it's helping you know, whether it's just a connection or a defense, right? Right. And then the other thing is that you have this need to do everything. Like you want to be, you want to do all the things that you are good at and you can't. Right. So I'm wondering if, um, you, you, this is what I'm, this is just what popped in my head right now is that maybe using humor as a defense, which most comedians do, <laughs> yeah. uh, is um, keeping you from being seen. Uh, keep, like uh, when you, are you like using- seen in your work. Like for example, like as a performer, there's a very immediate uh, relationship between your work and the people who are enjoying it right and like when you give when you get somebody a book there's an immediate relationship there right? right but when you're using humor let's just take the skulls like there's the humor is sort of kind of about what you're thinking i'm, I'm just guessing it's kind of about what you're thinking but there's no immediate release like there's no like you're not getting a chance to laugh together because of the process. Uh, possibly, yeah. I mean, I, uh, I remember when I was, my, like my first show at Roebling Hall, uh, no one knew who I was and I had these pieces up on, there was like lots of drawings up on the wall. And when someone would laugh, it would make me so happy. Uh, right. Otherwise, uh, you know, their, their, their enjoyment is hidden. Uh, you, you don't, you right. don't know. There's yeah. no reaction. There's no reaction. 
And I'm wondering if some of that came from maybe your role in your family, like when we were doing the intake and I pushed you to admit that you were really popular in high school. <laughs> he was very, he was really cute about it, guys. He really was. But he was really pop. And, you know, knowing knowing you as well as I do, I see you as a person, a very popular, well-liked guy. But I'm wondering if part of that is this need to make everybody happy. Like, did you have a role like that in your family? Like, come on, guys. What, did you have brothers and sisters? I did. And I have, you know, uh, that one classic uh, brother who has uh, had a lot of difficulty in his life. And there was often strife and stress around him. Mm -hmm. that to... Can you talk more about that? What role, what uh, order, what's your, how many kids, what's your birth order? There were four of us, but two of them were from my, who, two of them lived in the Netherlands and were from my father's first marriage. And um, did you grow were, up with uh, them? Were they I a part of your household? Sorry. Uh, not, not my regular household, but every three months out of the year they were. Mm -hmm. uh, your sound is fading in and out a little. Can maybe get a little closer and, and uh, stay there. <laughs> it's all right because it's really the conversation that matters. So go ahead. Uh, so um, go ahead. There oh, yeah, are four kids. And where were you in the birth order? I'm the first of my dad's second marriage. So I, was, I have a younger sister and then two older brothers, but the brothers are much older, uh, like nine and 11 years mm -hmm. older. Than me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, the, they were, ha had difficult lives. Um, uh, one was uh, put, one was diagnosed with schizophrenia. Um, uh, when I was like about 11 or so and, and put in a, <clears throat> an asylum. And, um, uh, I think due to some of his behavior and what he was going through, I, I, I did become to a certain extent, someone who would try to make my dad happy, mm -hmm. uh, with laughter. I also, you know, once you, if you're good at humor, uh, you only have to do it a couple of times to realize the effect it has on people and mm -hmm. what you can what the benefits of it are, mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. whether that be, <clears throat> I mean, I think I told you this earlier in one of my earliest humor, understanding the power of humor was I, I grew up on 120th street in Manhattan in the 1970s. And it was a, there was a park in front of our house that you couldn't even go into. And <clears throat> there was a group of kids and I would tell them jokes and they wouldn't bug me. You know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's a classic, you know, I mean, the comedian story, a classic thing. Like, you know, 10 years old, you were making everybody laugh. I love making people laugh. I'm a comedian now. No, Ooh. I mean, and but, but I think that's really interesting what you said about your brother. So these are two, two this, your older, this is your oldest brother? My second oldest brother. Second yeah. oldest brother. And you know, you were a little kid and he was, I mean, that must've been incredibly difficult. That's a big deal. Did you ever go see him in the place? I didn't. Uh, my dad would go, he would come and visit us. Uh, Your totally. brother? Yeah, he, he, uh, he would um, come out and, uh, but he was like loaded up on lithium. 
that's and, uh, so hard. Yeah. So that's huge. And did I want to make sure I get this right? Did he live in another country most of the time? Yeah, he lived in the Netherlands with your with his mom, his birth mom. Right. His your father's first wife or something. Exactly. exactly. And then what about that the sibling of that brother? That would have been an older boy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he uh, and he was he was 11 years older than me, and I I really looked up to him. He was a musician. Uh, he played with some of like the Netherlands' best bands. One of which was just really fantastic. Um, I've actually he's played keyboards on a number of my projects, mm-hmm. um, and um, he's a also a difficult character. In what uh, way? Just a, a bit of a shut in at this point. I mean, he's in his. He's now 61. Um, and did he did know, he have a job? Did he work or was he kind he's of a, a musician? He's been a working musician his whole life. Oh, that's nice. But yeah. has he been is he more of an introvert and yes. doesn't yeah. have did he ever get married or anything like that? Uh, briefly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but no kids or anything, right? No, his nickname when we were kids, his nickname was Eeyore. You know. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so they don't the well-adjusted popular guy that you appear to be doesn't seem any connection to that for sure. (laughs) So your father, that's so difficult. I actually have a very close friend who had a brother that is schizophrenic and anybody, uh, and, and I have, I mean, growing up with a sibling that's schizophrenic is a pretty profound thing in a lot of, lot of, lot of ways and hard to, uh, even imagine if you haven't, been there and I haven't, but I, I know that. Um, and then there's your younger sister. Younger sister. And how uh, much younger? She's two years younger than me. And uh, mm-hmm. she lives in, in California now. Um, mm-hmm. and we're did, very- you, did you feel, pre- so I want to get to the situation that you grew up. In. And I also want to say, can I just say this, that I find it really interesting. Like, I think I, I don't mean to pounce on this by any means, but I think that having a schizophrenic brother in the situation that you were in, where you were much younger and you were in another country and it was so complicated anyway, because he's your half brother and there are other adults and the whole situation sounds incredibly fraught for anybody. I mean, I'm impressed that you have come out of it without, you know, in such a generous way, caring about other people and, uh, uh, you know, entertaining them and stuff like that. But I'm imagining there must have been a pall of sadness or stress in your household. Was there? Uh, yeah, especially with, with my dad, who was not a particularly expressive guy, but would definitely had a Northern European kind of, uh, when he got sad, it was very, um, it was a cloud. Yeah, yeah. So did he have b- bouts of depression, do you think? I don't know. Um, I know that uh, he was, it, it, he's, uh, um, didn't have a lot of friends. Uh, he'd had one very close friend who had committed suicide. Uh, <sighs> my dad was a poet uh, early on. and um, Your dad what early on? I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. a poet. He was a poet? Your dad? Yeah. Yes. Wow. And, uh, and so 
there was a period of time I, I remember where, where he kind of shed his friends because I think it was frankly uh, maybe too painful uh, to to have. Friendship. Oh, a friend. Oh, you mean because of the suicide? Do you remember that? Was he affected by? Do you remember him being affected by that? Uh, yes. Well, I I know that it was it was explained to me by my mother that because I think that that happened when I was quite young. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And uh, and what and it, it, but it was something that you could tell that he he was he had a couple of close friends and then beyond that uh, he really didn't see people and it was life altering for him yes mm. so i'm thinking that um so okay this is what i'm thinking now what i'm thinking is that i understand the performing aspect of uh your personality where where it's gotten is it's a natural thing obviously but it's gotten reinforced through you know, the, your situation growing up. I think also that, um, you know, you're, you want to make your dad happy, but I also think that the death thing is really complicated because like what's also affected you or affected your whole family is the fact that your father's friend committed suicide. And it sounds like he changed after that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like what I'm, what, so it's kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm wondering, like, like you have this situation that is so difficult with, you know, a schizophrenic child in the family and the whole two countries and all that other family, all that other stuff. And then your dad is also dealing with this whole death thing. And I wonder if death, you know, kind of like you saw, you experienced through him the effect that could have. And then, I don't know, I, I could see how you'd want to cheer up your dad though. Yeah. <laughs> when your dad was upset, what, did it kind of like put a pall in the house, like over everybody? Yeah. Do you feel that um, you're wanting to keep your dad cheery may have gotten in the way of connecting with him on an emotional level in a direct way? Uh, sure. Uh, I, you know, after, like, um, I remember after my mom died, uh, um, I would go and visit him and I would talk with him and I would get into this kind of nervous chatter where you're trying to like kind of bring up the mood. Um, mm -hmm. And I could tell it annoyed him. And uh, uh, so then you'd be like very self-conscious about it and like trying not to do that. But at the same time, like, what are you going to, what else are you going to do? Um, right. But, but not, here, here's what's interesting is that you're, you take on the responsibility of making your dad happy. Like you felt you had, I mean, this is what it seems like. It felt like you had the power to like make him happy and cheer him up. And you really wanted to do that. But where the fuck is he? Why isn't he cheering you up? You know what I mean? What did, what did he, what, where is he? Why isn't he checking in? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not your job. It's not your job to cheer him up. I'm not, now I'm mad at your dad. Is your dad still alive? No. No, when did he pass? Uh, 2006. And your mom, when did she pass? 1999. 99. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but 
So, okay. So, but then also, like, you're an extremely talented artist, painter. Uh, you're extremely talented at making things happen in alone in a studio. Like, right, that's for you in a way. Like, that's a very very satisfying experience for you. I imagine when it's going well, which it doesn't, it's hard, I know, but there's like something probably so gratifying about being alone in that room and making that thing that you're making and just soak the connection, the relationship you have with the thing that you're making both intellectually and sort of on a, you know, very visceral level, which is what painting is. It's very instinctual. So I'm feeling like that stuff is for you. And yet the performance is for everyone else. Um, uh, or, or there might be a conflict. I mean, obviously it's rewarding to perform and, and you know, getting, but, but I'm wondering if there's conflict there if you're dealing with that somehow, like. What I love about, what I love about drawing and painting uh, is that uh, I can do it without having to deal with anybody else. Mm -hmm. And the years of being in bands where you get conflicting personalities or people, you know, I, I was always the front person. So, and would write most of the material and certain people would chafe, uh, you know, and I, I was very good at sort of manipulating people into agreeing to go along with me. You have and, to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have to be that person or you can't front a band. <laughs> totally. But, you know, it, but then you'd still have to ride out the little, like they would, you know, the little hiccups because they'd be like, God damn it. I wanted to play that other baseline. And, and you'd talk them into doing the one that you had written or whatever. And then, you know, they'd be like, okay. But then later that evening, you know, at the bar, they'd lay into you or something, you know, and, and you just kind of learn to deal with, like, take that as a band leader, just like, Ooh. let them do off the steam, blow off the steam. Um, and certainly like, you know, shooting the Gross Mollerman show was, I mean, such an ensemble cast. All these people were involved, uh, making sure that camera people showed up um, because I tend to fall in, I don't, uh, into the producer role as well. Yeah, of course. Um, that, uh, you know, that, 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 that gets very exhausting and, and knowing mm -hmm. that I can go home and make a little drawing and not have to consult with anybody over it. Right. This is what I'm saying. And it also sounds like you are very, um, really good at, uh, assuaging people's egos. Like, I mean, I know, you know, I don't know these people, but I know in the Gross Mallerman show that to have, you know, performers like of the level that you had, uh, even though they're your peers, they still have to, you got to make sure everybody's happy. Yeah, and, totally. And, and, then, and then everyone else who's working, I don't know if the, what you were paying them or whatever, but it wasn't like, you know, Hollywood scale. And you have to make sure that everybody's in a good mood all the time. And you also have to write, you know, you have, you're also responsible for the entire production and the material. So what I'm saying is if you take the all, if you take a hundred hours of that and a hundred hours of painting skulls, you're going to have a whole room of 
fabulous skulls that, you know, are just, you know, so satisfying to make, or you're going to like, you know, there's going to be a, you know, there's a three martini dinner at the end of the day with those people. I don't know how you damn deal with them, but I think you also have a real talent, Mitch, you might've learned from your dad on how to re make people feel good about themselves. Why you're sort of, you're good at, you know, soothing people and getting them to make you happy, but it costs you a lot. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, uh, I, I, it's honestly like, it's not manipulation on my part. No, no, you're very generous. I want to put that out there. You are extremely generous in doing all this because you've met, you made a band for other people. You made TV shows for other people. Those people all didn't have to worry about anything that you worried about and the big picture and nothing. And they got a lot out of it. So let's be clear. You are very generous in doing this and yeah. it's costing you. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, it, it, there's, there's, there's great satisfaction, but also great call, like just emotional. Yeah. Call. Yeah. Yeah. We have 15 minutes left. I'm just giving you a heads up. That's all. I have one, one case I remember, and I'm not going to name names, but we had an actor, uh, um, walk off the set because they had a, a conflicting thing. We had still had shooting to do. And I was covered in paint and in, in this position because my character had been attacked by a ghost. And uh, I, I'd been trying to get them to stay. And they walked off in the middle, just like right in the middle of the shot. <laughs> it was one of these amazing, and you know, you just have to go on. You just have to wow wow and wow that's no and i you know i uh, uh, as we as as i mean i've produced some show i have produced my own shows uh, uh, enough times to know that like um i call it there's not enough roi in producing a sh i mean i i can't speak for you because it's completely different but for me i felt like there's a lot of too much not enough return on investment in producing shows with a lot, lot of people. Right, right. I mean, and um, considering that you can also make things, like I can make things on my own and be very happy doing that. Yeah. And actually this radio show is fabulous. You should get a radio show to come join the station. <laughs> because the thing is about the radio show is that it's incredibly gratifying. And if, it has a performance aspect to it, but it's so rewarding. And the amount of, I mean, you know, maybe it's not the visibility of doing a live show, say, once a week, but, you know, or some other things, but it's all very satisfying. So I'm saying, I understand what you're talking about. And maybe I'm wondering if doing the gross Mallerman thing kind of like, you know, maybe you, maybe it satisfied that itch of like, okay, that was a lot of, do you, like, when you look back on it, I mean, I'm, sh you know, it's amazing, but do you ever think like, oh, I wonder if that was worth it? I could have been doing something else. No, no, no. I'm very, I'm super proud of it. When I look at it, I'm like, holy crap, I accomplished that. Um, and when I, uh, and had it been successful, had it been picked up by somebody, I would have been totally happy doing that for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, 
you know, provided there was money involved. Did you, did you, um, I mean, it, it, it is great. And I want people that's on your website too, right? Do your own fucking research. Go look it up. Okay. GuyRichardSmith.com. That's what S M I T. Uh, Richards is plural. Uh, so the thing is, is that, uh, the thing about that is that, um, okay, so if it had gotten picked up, but then money, uh, uh, what was I going to say? There was something I was going to say, if it had gotten picked up, so then all the stuff that you didn't like about it wouldn't have been a problem. Oh, this is what I was going to say. When you went through the process of getting it picked up, and I, I, I've had this experience myself of um, finding out, and I don't know, you know, you're, you're, you, that was a pretty major show, but like, I wonder if it, you learn a lot about what it really takes or like, I know how hard it is to get a show picked up because yeah. I've seen a lot of serious professionals get shows and then have them. I mean, we, anybody, anybody knows how hard it is to get anything done. Yeah. So did it seem harder than you expected in the beginning? Did it turn out to be harder once you got on the path of doing that? What I realized, and I had a, a show, I did a show that was picked up by a production company, which the deal and ended up falling apart. Right. One no, I mean, right. You can get all the money too. You can make a lot of money and still not have anything on yeah. air. Right. Um, but one thing I realized, and this is what comes back to my kind of need to do everything, is that, uh, and ultimately sort of my return to painting, is that, you know, everyone everyone else in, in TV, that's all they do. That's what they do their whole life. And mm -hmm. they went to school doing it, and they've been doing it for 20 years. And you show up going, look what I did. And they're you know working their asses off every day and they've got you know uh they're deep in in terms of contacts and stuff like that yeah right 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 uh, right you can't you know like are you really going to i mean there are flukes it does happen uh but it's a very hard world to just walk into Oh yeah. I mean, I know that from my, one of my close friends is a very talented editor in Hollywood. He does live, he does reality shows. He did, uh, you know, RuPaul and stuff like that. And I've seen what he's gone through just to get, he's at such a professional level and he does, he's brilliant, you know, and he does his own work and he has, you know, great production and all that for TV shows and he gets pitches, but it's like, getting a pitch like okay we get that um the point is that i was also thinking about though is that i wonder so you have two children two boys and they're how old again 14 and 9 14 and 10 14 and 10 and uh a great marriage we've already established that in the intake and uh and i know for sure that your wife is an incredibly lovely person and i can only say great things about her i don't know her that well uh and so you have a uh, what seems to me like a very happy nice family right yeah 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 absolutely yeah 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 so I wonder if in having your own family, if your role has changed, like, do you feel, I mean, there's, I, 
like I don't I, just my instinct is that this is a family with uh, unconditional love everywhere. Uh, I would I would say so. I would say that, that um, you know, it's a uh, we enjoy each other. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be problems or whatever, of course, but it's pretty much, you know, everybody's healthy, happy, productive. Uh, it, it seems so I don't get the feel I get, I'm wondering about like, maybe you don't need that to, to have that defense. Let's call it a defense just to make it easy of having to entertain your family. Like you just know that they're there for you. Like what role, as far as being the entertainer, what role do you have in your family? Do you still have that? Do you have that role in your own, with your own family? Uh, you know, less, less so. Uh, I still enjoy you like making them make laugh. You laugh, of course. Yeah. But you um, don't, but it's like, it's fun to make your kids, your family laugh. And you are the funny guy, I'm guessing. Yeah, but I'll be honest, like everyone's pretty funny in the family. My <laughs> wife is really attracted to me to her to begin with, with how funny she was. Oh, really? That's perfect. Um, so, but it's not a responsibility. It's more of a joy, right? The family is more of a joy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And you don't feel like you are having to make people laugh. No, I mean, if someone is very sad, then I, you know, I fall into uh, cheering them up, cheering them up, uh, mm -hmm. and, and being I'm I'm the cook in the family, and so I, I cook dinner every night, and I that becomes a whole kind of like psychology of uh, you know entertainment and making sure that they're getting something that they enjoy, and you know a certain amount of manipulation with kids and like making them making sure that they're eating something that's Right. Uh, good for them and, and stuff like that. Right, right. But but those are positive parenting things. They're <laughs> not like, it's like they're your kids. It's not like you with your dad. Right. No, I mean, I I, I feel like um, in most cases, I, I feel like everyone should be trying to make everybody laugh. <laughs> I agree. I agree. So um Let's see. We only have, wow, four minutes. So I'm going to say that uh, because we, you're, you're, the thing with your schizophrenic brother is a very uh, powerful uh, childhood experience. And maybe that's a little on, you know, and then your dad, that whole dynamic seems like, you know, your dad, that it was just a problem and you felt some responsibility uh, for making things okay and you were actually probably capable of it so that makes it more of a responsibility but I'm wondering if you know you're just like you want to be really good at everything but you maybe maybe you are starting to focus more on your own uh, visual art and you're kind of letting the other stuff go more and it's sad um i yeah i mean it's interesting because like I've, I've been writing music and uh I, what i love now is how easy it is with instagram for instance to make a little video and just post it um mm -hmm. uh and i would love to get a chance to do all these things uh i i 
but I, I see what you're saying. I, I, I don't know if it makes any sense. I'm just surprised that you didn't bring up your brother, and I don't mean to harp on this, God, but I'm just surprised you didn't bring it up on the intake because uh, it was very, I, I just wonder if you've thought about, about that. Have you been in, you've been in therapy at points, right? Have you ever talked about your brother in therapy? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they were weird characters because they were so distant, but also there. And, and, uh, yeah. well, one thing I also didn't talk to you about was that my mother was incredibly funny and that's probably where oh. I got a lot. Is there competition for funny? Uh, in the family? Yeah. Like, I don't know. She was a great storyteller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was not never, it was never my forte. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. A long story. Mm-hmm. And she would have a whole, anyone who was there was totally transfixed. Um, well, uh, you know what? We've only have two minutes left and I want to make sure I get in your, your, uh, website and everything else. And a thank you to everybody listening. Uh, I just think that you're, you're, you're like pretty well, pretty well adjusted, actually. It's like, you're doing all the right things. You know what I mean? Like you're busy, you're busy with things. You're always, it seems like you're always trying to dig into what you're connected to. Yeah. And you do have a, a, what seems to me a very well-adjusted family, which is really hard to do in New York city. Uh, and, um, that's really grounding and, uh, you know, I don't know what it is, what, what, what is you're missing, you're missing something, you're missing something. And I'm not sure, uh, what that is, you know, and I'm not sure if it's just that you can't do it, you really can't do everything or, um, maybe, I don't know. I think you're getting closer though. I think like you're getting closer, like the way that you talked about, I think going through the gross Mahler man thing was a really great, uh, impressive endeavor that has been satisfying in a lot of ways and probably disillusioning in others as many things are. So I don't know. I don't know, but, um, I'm going to think about this. I'm going to think about this some more, but anyway, I really, really enjoyed having you on. It was really fabulous. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, I'm at Dr. Dr. Lisa Levy SP. If you want to get in touch with me or Dr. Lisa at Radio Free Brooklyn, anytime, uh, stick around. We've got great programming this afternoon. As always, thank you.